I don't think that is a problem. I just happen to have a little bit left from this morning's brew, but uh, I feel I, th I think it's okay to express some joy in your life right now because really there's so much darkness and and, and difficulty out there. Um, the world, the whole world, feels like it's well, no, the whole world. I'm that was a sweeping generalization. A lot of people feel like this is a really hard time in humanity, but I I'm like holding on to this hope that it's actually a huge educational time, and that there's going to be something we're going to learn from all of this whether it be the pandemic and or the, the, the massive inequality, things that just rose to the top. This stuff's been happening for so long, you know, um, that uh, it's just weird how our short-term memory will like, like click off and I'll get back into making art and I'll forget about what's going on in the planet. And um, I, like I said, I shut off the news for a while there, but of course the murder of George Floyd, that, that rightfully stopped my news wall blackout. You know, it started, and I, and I got back into it. But then, like four, four days into that, I was like, "Oh my God, I'm looking at, I'm looking at the news all the time on my phone." And I got was getting really angry. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to make art in anger. I think, but there also has to be um, some room for the positivity in your life, or else it's going to wither away and just explode in a, in a dark cloud. You know. Totally. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Wise words from Tim Easton. Tim is an American guitarist and singer-songwriter playing rock and roll, folk, and Americana music. He tours extensively and often plays in Alaska. Tim is based in Nashville. And also joining us today for inspiration and adaptation is Kat Moore from Anchorage. She's a multi-instrumentalist and creative force known as the forest that never sleeps. <laughs> Kat weaves a sonic tapestry with her compositions, and she also teaches music. We're so happy to have you with us today. Um, yes, you, you're very welcome. In this um, new series, um, Inspiration and Adaptation, I'm interested in exploring the way artists um, express agency at this time of pandemic, of environmental crisis, of um, you know, a massive human rights movement. How are artists adapting? And, and the recession too, you know, uh, how do artists create agency in challenging times? So we're really pleased to have um, two incredible musicians with us today. And um, to start us out, I actually wanna ask you to, to take a moment and remember the last time you performed in front of a live audience. Mm. And if you, um, um, if you could tell us what that was, and if you had a chance to speak to those people right now, what would you say? Oh my gosh. Uh, Alaskans first. Go ahead. Sock it to me. Wow. Um, so that's an interesting question. It would have had a very different answer just a week ago. Um, I actually was um, an artist who went out and performed since COVID. Um, we had a lot of shows that canceled and um, there was one venue that felt safe operating in an outdoor space with an outdoor stage and socially distant yard. So I actually had the opportunity mm -hmm. to perform live in front of an audience with um, one oh. of my bands called The Lateral Lines on last Friday. And um, what was it like? Um, aside from maybe a few true personal crises and maybe the feeling I had on 9-11 when both of my parents were either living in or operating out of New York. I think that was the most stressful night that I have felt 
in my entire life, to be truly honest. Um, it, it was very strange. It was a very conflicted gamut of emotions. I was super excited to be sharing art. I was super excited to be sharing the stage with friends that I love. Um, I was super nervous to be going anywhere to a place that would bring people together, which is exactly what we're like built to do in our craft. Um, so it felt antithetical to the purpose um, while also simultaneously being enjoyable, you know, for me on a deep personal musical level. Um, I also felt a lot of stress um, related to the performance because I had written a song about George Floyd's murder and about all of the murder of black Americans that, you know, we've been experiencing in this country and just ignoring for years and not talking about enough and not seeing and not, you know, legislating as a result of. And, um, and so basically I, I share that song with my bandmates and the audience and, um, and it was, it was a lot of fear because I wasn't sure how to do it. I wasn't sure if I was making the right choice as a white artist, um, if my message would be received as a message of solidarity or if the lyrics were right or wrong, you know. Um, like Tim mentioned before, it's a time that we're gonna have a lot of feelings and it was a song that was, um, that was a mixture of anger and then hope. But it started in anger and as the song was written over time, it became more hopeful. Um, but it was definitely, you know, I worried about offending a lot of different audiences. I worried about creating more polarity in the world, which is the last thing I wanted to do. So for me, the last performance I had felt like a very risky performance in, with relation to polarity because, you know, there are some who are like, we should not be going out at all. And some people are like, this is good for our mental health. You know, some people are like, hey, you don't have a frame of reference to write from with anger regarding systemic racism and other people are like use your voice you know so i it's it was very interesting mm, wow living on the edge thank you for just being <laughs> you you know this Thanks. honest courageous person who's willing to share with us that whole gamut of emotions and i really want to come back to that song if you might be willing to share some of that with us but i'd like to turn mm. to tim you know and ask you tim um when was the last time that you performed in front of an audience? And as you think about that today, or have you thought about that a bunch? And what, what would you say to that group if you could? Um, I see you've, you've asked two clear workaholics into this conversation. I mean, Kat is, I've seen Kat, you know, Kat's been burgled, robbed, all her instruments taken, and she still keeps on going. And I don't feel like I've stopped. It's weird. Like I, I know that I've stopped being in front of live audiences but i've been doing it for so long and before that i was a street musician for seven years so then i just started busking like i was on the streets in europe 20 20 some years ago but i was in my living room in tennessee and um right before the pandemic the the quarantine the lockdown situation started i was on tour with todd snyder super lucky job for a guy like me you know swooping on his beautiful audiences you know clearly baked in a in a in a really beautiful theaters you know he was doing this theater thing and i you know come in there as the as the just i have i have a plan of attack like 30 minutes 40 minutes like pretty dialed in got all the bits ready i'm just i'm there i'm not slacking 
like I will tend to do if I'm playing the brown bear or something, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm not just, I'm not just ripping and playing covers and stuff. I'm like really focused and getting in there. It was a really wonderful experience, but I was, it's the same message as, as uh, I always give in regards to talking to people and talking to audiences. I try to uplift them and take them away from whatever we're doing, whatever is going on. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's remarkable the, the the sessions about busking in the house. And I, I remember I did play a Zoom show like this, right? And I actually heard some people applauding after it. So that feeling, I was like, oh my gosh, the, the sound of applause, not that that's what I do it for, but hearing it, yeah, I mean, I'm super grateful that I get to travel around the world and play songs to whatever size crowd of people, man. I, I swear, I'm gonna come up to Alaska this summer if I get to come up. I haven't bought the tickets yet, but I'm really looking forward to it. I would love to just play on the porch of the gallery or I'll just plug in and play on the streets. I, you know, I'll just go to downtown Hope and run an extension. I'll just busk. I don't really care. I feel really fortunate that I can still carry on. It's almost like I was kind of born, trained, been training for this kind of thing my whole life, you know, uh, and, and just trying to uplift people through difficulties, which is clearly, I mean, I also went down deep into the darkness for a bit and every day is different, right? But what I try to do is I stick with that meditation in the morning to be grateful that I'm even able functioning and able to do this. And, um, you know, I did go to the demonstration in Nashville a couple of days ago. So I did, then I did the ethical thing was to go get tested. So I got tested yesterday. It was really simple. You never left your car in Nashville. You just pull up in line um swab the nose you know a couple tears and uh you know then i call in for my results and you know i'm in between that time so every day is different but i what you know i know this is a long answer and i went all over the place but that's going to happen with cat when you ask us questions we were both you know both is super motivated so great to see you and hang out with you guys and talk to you about this because uh i feel like cat and i are examples of people that a pandemic and or um, massive uprising in social consciousness is actually going to motivate us a little bit you know yeah we've we've been we've been um we've been faced with something and we we want to work we want to work through it you know it helps us you i mean like more so than than anybody else I know, you immediately kind of nimbly pivoted to you know live you know performances on FaceTime and just just like did not stop. Did you did you, have you been doing those too, Kat? Have I missed that? You know, it was interesting. Right, um, the first, the Monday after, I guess it was the Monday they closed the state in Alaska. I fell on the ice and I sprained my left wrist. So, so that was a really interesting start to pandemic because I was like, oh, you know, and the doctors were like, oh, two weeks in a brace. And then it was like three weeks in a brace, then it was a month. And so it took about like, I mean, it's still a little bit strange now, but I took about a month off from playing everything except for open strings bass with my right hand. You know, I could just lean it around my right hand and play like this. And then I wrote a lot of right-handed piano songs. So I, I did um, some live shows right out of the gate and then I, couldn't really play piano or guitar. Um, but yeah, I did have the opportunity to do a couple of those. And, and now I'm really looking forward to getting back into them now that like my wrist is working. But, but it was so interesting because it changed the way that I wrote. I wrote all these very like soft 
right-handed songs and then slowly as my wrist healed the left hand built in and mm -hmm. so now they feel like regular full count songs but the framework it, it's such a different way to write you know when you're when you have a limitation um so yeah it's been kind you of know, interesting it, that's interesting because you know you two are extremely motivated and as you said tim you know you're workaholics you're ready you're constantly putting out but then how do you create times of creative rest for yourself? I mean, if there was ever a time that you could just have an in-home residency <laughs> and incubate and pivot to, um, you know, songwriting and not performing or something mm. like that, um, you know, do, have you, do, do you do that, Tim? Uh, you, you mentioned that you're happy when you don't have any cell phone reception sometimes. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the notion of coming up there, of course, things change every day, but the notion of coming up to Alaska, as you know, I had a tour canceled and our, and our songwriting workshop was uh, postponed. And, and the notion of coming up there this summer, talking to my friend, Dr. Tim Foote up in Fairbanks, you know, he's like, ethically, the right thing to do is to, is to self-quarantine for, for two weeks. And a guy like me is like, I get to self-quarantine in a cabin in Alaska for two weeks near a river. I'm like, I'm in, you know, it's like, again, I was like, I can't, I just keep, this is like a win situation for me. So yeah, I would love to, um, to do that. And I do take opportunities to shut the world uh, technology out and get in focus. And um, I just try to, you know, I wasn't always this, you know, in my twenties and thirties, pretty, pretty uh, wild and, uh, um, lazy or and or just you know uh, slacking a lot you know not getting up and getting right into it and um, today I'm just kind of I have I, I make sure that I I work a little bit every day a little bit every day whether it's writing in, in this or, or on my phone or singing something in my phone so I I love I would love to you know do a residency at a place and, and work and and as you know you guys are part of that kind of stuff too and i've done it i've done it many times you know um some i've documented like the, i did one at stetson kennedy's place which this is something cat could do stetson kennedy you know he infiltrated the kkk he was friends with woody guthrie radical american stetson kennedy he's from florida and him and woody guthrie you know, did the <laughs> the environmentally interesting thing of building a dam in a creek in Florida. You know, it's just so funny because Woody Guthrie's known for like singing all these songs about building dams and destroy like destroyed native villages. You know, the the who you know these dams. So the, the whole other story there. But it's just remarkable how these folk icons of ours actually are just environmentally you know tied in with government things that just like really reamed the planet. But um, times change. And uh, so, yeah, Stetson Kennedy has a songwriting residency cat and you should know about it. It's in Florida. Um, and you go down there and you stay in the shack on a, on a lake that was made because of a dam he and Woody Guthrie built and, uh, and just write songs, man, and hang out. And it's, you have to write, the, the, the requirement is that you have to write one politically motivated or socially conscious song while you're there. That, Stetson Kennedy right really right did infiltrate alley. the Klan I mean, he had to move to Europe for a while. They, they were going to kill him. So he's a remarkable guy, Stetson Kennedy. So um, there, there you go. That was a branch off into uh, <laughs> good luck trying to keep us focused here today. So any kind of residency that you've had, which sounds like it's been a few little moments in the cabin in the woods, um, they've been something of your own making. Huh? Yeah, you have to. Otherwise, how are you going to get the work done, right? I mean, yeah. you know, I know that Kat and I, we work a lot 
we're like chipping away at it all the time. I mean, she almost broke her arm and she was still going. Like I, I still have my shoulder thing from wiping out on the ice. Like I just got off the airplane in Anchorage and I was boom, I hit the ice like, you know, within minutes, I know. And I was just like, I was like, no one, this ice, this ice is gonna take out my beloved musician friends. Please, you know, Carl Hoffman fell on the ice, the father of Alaskan bluegrass. He fell on the ice a couple of years ago. So yeah, be careful, you guys. Put some spikes in those boots. Kat, you created some uh, times for yourself, like a vocal rest, you know, to, to rest those beautiful vocal cords of yours. And um, have you done residencies or do you just create them for yourself? Times of retreat and restoration? Um, for me, you know, it's a, it's a really good question. I love the concept of creating them like as an actual thing that you put in the calendar. But um, for me, what I've done as a result, partially of my generally social nature and part of my, you know, uh, physiological issues that I've had with my vocal cords is I've restructured my life as much as possible to be a residency. And that sounds insane, even as I hear myself say it, because I haven't really said it out loud. But, um, you know, prior to my musical career, I was a very social person. Um, when I became a musician in my 30s, I stayed equally gregarious. And um, at first, as I started really creating more, I started sneaking the time from my own world. So, you know, if bedtime used to be midnight, then bedtime became 3 a.m. And then there was this little chunk of time when no one else is awake, and I would go make my poetry and make my songs. Um, and then as I started playing more instruments and making more songs, it came to 4 a.m., then it was 5 a.m., then it was 6 a.m. Um, so for me, I created residencies. I carved them out of my personal time, which was mostly sleep. However, that had in the uh, contrary effect on my vocal cords. Um, mm. So when I started having issues with nodes and um, inflammation and, and stuff like that, I really had to restructure how I lived life. And um, so I, I think we were mentioning before all of you were on the call, um, I live with some friends on the backside of Flattop, um, Mark and Carol Barnhill, good friends of mine, and they have a beautiful home. And, um, and three years ago, I moved up here because I was looking for a space to be away from people. Um, I knew that in town, I'd just jump on my bike, go socialize, and, and I needed to create space because I didn't have the social self-control to do so. Um, and so, you know, I've really been able to find a really sacred space up here. And um, now that I've, I created it in the sense of physical proximity um, or physical distance rather. Um, I see, I'm the OG social distancer. I know, just kidding. Mm. <laughs> but, um, but really like now that I've created that through the method of, you know, physically removing myself, I've been able to, you know, get into the routine of creating and preserving that artistic space. And, um, and now I'm much, I'm much better at maintaining it, but I'm much less social. You know what I mean? Like I choose my social interactions really carefully. And, um, but yeah, but I think that life in a way is kind of, you kind of have to just sort of view every week as like, okay, I'm going to pick one day. That's my residency. I'm just going to turn off the phone, turn off the computer and just do whatever, you know, half the time it'll be that I go hike flat top. And then by the time I'm down, I'm like, oh, there's a sun. Okay. Now I go find the guitar, you know? But, um, but I do love the concept of like large chunks of time, whether it's like choosing vocal rest to actually physiologically rest our bodies. Because as musicians, like Tim said, if it's not the ice that's taking us out, it's, you know, wrist issues or overuse or, you know, any of those things, the occupational hazards of being an, a musician. But um, I love the concept of long, long-term 
residencies as well. But I think that in this day and age with the hustle too, you got to just build it in, you know? Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Both of you have been um, really responsive to this moment that we're in, this moment of um, transformation and upheaval and a new, you know, human rights movement that um, has powerfully shaped what you're doing. Kat, you talked about writing um, new work and sharing it. And Tim, you've just um, produced Campfire Propaganda Volume 1 um, with this gorgeous new song that I'd like to take the risk of sharing online and hope that um, we don't have a break in the feed. Um, so I'm just going to pop into screen share for a moment um, and see if we can uh, I wrote it on Monday. Or maybe I, well, I don't even know if I, I have wrote it on Monday night. Did you really? And I recorded it Tuesday and then I put it out on Wednesday. Wow. So let's just listen to this two minutes and 39 seconds. Whatever I wanted, I told the woman who worked there, I said, Baby, leave my home. She said, Son, my son, that's how I feel every day. Son, my son, that's how I feel every day. Yeah, it's a 12-string guitar, and um, 
Yeah, just um, it, to me, the very Celtic sound of it came out there, just listening to that, because it was a little bit uh, compressed or whatever that Zoom does to the music and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I, have, I now, because I have a home and a nest, you know, I have my guitars are not in cases anymore, and they're, they are um, out and about, so I can grab them and play them. And that is a 12-string guitar. I have the open C tuning and kind of a lead belly tuning, um, Odetta, kind of another famous um, folk icon. Um, these are just the, the African-American, like, uh, you know, founders of that, of that, uh, our music forms, you know, that came out of hard times and suffering. And there's also like another, uh, well, anyways, I, I, I went to the demonstration the other day and on the way there I did, I stopped the store and I, I did say something to this old woman that was working there and she said that she said that's how I feel every day and uh, I of course felt the the song is kind of addressing a little bit of the privilege situation it's like um, you know I went to the market to buy whatever I wanted because I can you know or whatever I needed might have been a better lyric I don't know when the song's brand new like that after after five days you're like oh you I might change a few words I never I never I've never played it in public you know um, there's a guy named Steve Earle, songwriter, great, great protest songwriter. He said, uh, a song isn't finished yet until you play it in front of somebody. Um, and I never play that in public yet. I, well, no, I, I, I wrote it and I recorded it and put it out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that the privilege of that being able to fill up your tank with gas too, it just goes on. And then laying my head on a pillow at night in comfort, you know, is, is all a real part of my life that I take for granted. And I think most of us do. Um, you know, uh, and I, I just wanted to address it. Um, I didn't enjoy being at the demonstration and seeing people yell at the police. Um, I didn't enjoy that. You know, I looked at their eyes and I saw fear and, and, um, you know, them behind their right, the riot gear and stuff like that. And I, I, you know, I know that, that cat and I sympathize in this way. It's like, I would rather, you know, give them a hug than, than to yell at them. You know, I don't, I, I don't stand with the people that say all police are bad. You know, I, I don't stand anybody that says all everything is this, you know, like all artists sleep in and are addicted to coffee. Well, that might be true, but anyway, but it's like, you know, I, so there was, there was, a, it was a really intense day and I'm really glad I participated. But like I said, I did put myself in danger, uh, Everyone was wearing masks, by the way. I mean, really, it was nine. If you look at the photographs, it's like it's like ninety percent. So that was uh, that was it was a powerful day, and, and I, I came back and I wrote the song a couple of days. Well, I wrote it on Monday. Um, it was just one verse. I was just like, I just kept thinking. It's like that's how I feel every day, you know. And I just kind of made a sing song thing into it, and I mm -hmm. uh, and it just all of a sudden I was like, well, I'll write a couple more verses and. Um, which is what we do. I think Kat and I are, you know, very similar in that respect too. It's like, oh, there's a thing, it's in my brain. It's coming out now through my hands on this machine, the tool, this guitar or piano. And then it's there, it got there somehow. That's the magical thing that we can't describe. There it is. And now am I gonna just continue it or am I gonna abandon it after it's a 20 second thing? Am I gonna turn it into a two minute thing? which usually means maybe adding one more verse and one more chorus. 
for some reason we think songs have to be a certain length or whatever. Some of them just pour out and they're really long and they keep going. But that one was just short and sweet and to the point. And I don't think we need to, uh, you know, I, 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 a lot of people have reached out about it. Um, and um, I'm just super grateful that I was able to be still in one spot while it got transmitted from the universe of whatever to, to be put there. And that's, you know, the story of our, of our lives as creators, I think just like, can you just slow down and let the world do its thing while you do your, while you get this one piece of work done? You know, the world actually can wait for a second while you work on this thing. And otherwise it's just a bunch of, fragmented things on your iPhone, right? I mean, Kat and I would, another great Zoom thing, I think would be Kat and I opening up our phones and like, go to voice memo uh, 97. <laughs> and you see, see what like she's laughing already because I already know, we've never discussed this, but I know it's like probably like, just like- Like 1097 you know. as well. Oh yeah, for you, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I try to like, you know, it was John Hyatt, the songwriter John Hyatt is the one who told me, he said, don't just, let the he said the world can wait you know the, the world can wait finish your song right then or else you'll never finish it and he's he's kind of i've gone back and finished some but for the most part it's true it's like the, the that initial thing you know a, a painting is different uh, a photograph is absolutely different it's an instant thing you're you know um but it can be worked in and post but uh uh songwriting and poetry it's almost like it's like funneling through you at that time and you kind of got to go for it because when you return to it later you're a different person and you've had different ex education you have different experiences with the world that have changed you since lunch you know so yeah that's a fantastic yeah. point i love i love this song i love its homage you know to um the artistic you know um foremothers and forefathers in that blues tradition um, I love the quality of kind of um, that chorus, you know, son, son, the empathy that's that's inside the um, the song. And I also really love that what you're doing with this, what you're doing with this album is you're you're contributing significantly to Black Lives Matter. Talk a little bit about that and that connection that you're making um, with this project. Yeah, thanks. It's it's defendingblacklives.org. Um, it's a very um, interesting thing we get into on, on, on the internet. You know, I'm not like, a, I don't have the star power of someone that's raising thousands of dollars for, or I just don't. Um, I get to, I feel really lucky I get to travel the world and do what I do, but it's like, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm working a lot to stay, to stay afloat. And um, I just figured I don't, I can't donate a lot of money to these organizations but I want to put my money where my mouth is, or I want to, I want to do something. And I'm a home recording guy. So I've got the rig. I've got a good, you know, enough rig. My ears aren't quite trained when it comes to mixing and all that stuff, but I'm able to record a, a voice and a guitar really fast. So I just went, I went to it and I re-recorded some of the, lo and behold, after all these years, I have a couple albums worth of protest songs written, you know, um, I, I left the song Jesus Protect Me From Your Followers off this one. That's like my most requested kind of which is actually comes from a place of love and respect. But I, I have a bunch. I have so many, uh, you know, news about voting and, do, you know, participating. And, and um, really, man, it, it's like it, it, 
I was really lucky when I was a street musician. I went to London. I get over there. I get off the plane. I'm basically a week or two into London, and there's a demonstration through town, and we're, we're, we're going to go on a march through town, and at the end, of, there's a rock show with, like, Sting and Boy George and Big Audio Dynamite, and we're marching for this guy that's in prison, and his name is Nelson Mandela. I had no idea who he was, wow. okay? I was... 18, 22, something like that. Didn't know, uh, you know, uh, and so then, then I found out. He was in prison at the time and there was a vigil that started on that day and stayed in Trafalgar Square until he was released from prison. So that was me witnessing actual participation get done. And a guy did say, I stopped to watch the protest one day and I, one moment during it and a guy in a green mohawk did come up to me and he was like, don't spectate, participate. You know, and that, that's the story I tell on stage a lot. So that's a true story, you know, and he, he was kind of yelling at me. And I was like, oh yeah, sure, you know, and I filed that away and I used it for a song about encouraging people to participate in, in local elections. So I think I answered the question, but, um, you know, I just, the, the, the writing about social things and issues and, and contemporary stuff is like, I don't see how you could be like Nina Simone said, how you could be a contemporary artist and ignore any of that stuff. I mean, it's like, what, what's going on? What blinders do you have on? I, I'm really curious in the story of Bob Dylan, like one day, you know, writing all those protest songs. And then one day he's like, you know, I think it has something to do with Kennedy being assassinated. And then like all this, all that stuff, all that really heavy stuff happened, you know, and he's, you know, at that point, it's like, you know what? I can't, the system is so corrupt and so deep and so dark that I'm just going to step away from that and get into my rock and roll roots. And I'm going to stop that protest stuff. And I'm going to get away from these folk, folky people. Um, and then here we are, how many years later, he puts out a song that's like 20 some 15 minutes long about the murder of JFK. So it's like, whoa, I mean, to me, that's like massive art incubation and process. And also nobody, you know, we, if there's one thing that, you know, we've been instructed is nobody's listening to songs that are more than a couple of minutes long anymore. We don't have the attention span. So for Dylan to put a 15 minute song out, it's like, okay, we're, how, how far off the subject trail did I go there? No, it's all good. <laughs> Kat, um, I'm going to turn your mic back on. I, I, maybe you need to unmute. There, your, we go. there you go. Thank you. I, um, I know that you, talked about uh, recently, you know, performing a song that you wrote in response to what's going on and um, movements for social justice. And I wondered if that's one you'd like to share with us or sure, did sure. you have something? Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah may, I take, may I take you on a little walk down the uh, downstairs here? Oh, let's, let's see. We'll see if we can. <laughs> if how not, our reception I'll, works out. If not, I promise I'll bring us back upstairs where the reception's good and okay. I'll sing it we'll for you a cappella. I'll narrate. Right. Yes. That is strolling through the Barnhill residence up on the large Flat alligator Top on Mountain. the wall. Um, here going we go. down the stairs into the artist's den, <laughs> where Why the famous artist down? Dylan Barnhill grew up in this cabin. His are brother Cody Barnhill is a ex uh, a skier, of course, because he grew up with all those ski holes around. We oh, have right. a beautiful room in here. Yeah. Oh. So, can you still hear me? All right. Yes. 
Okay, so I'm going to play you a song. Um, I came down here. This is where I do most of my work. Tim is correct. Um, this is really like, this is my space, this little corner. Um, but I wrote this song on piano, and I'm not a very well-versed guitarist, um, so I don't actually know how to play these chords on guitar. And again, this, uh, this is a song, like Tim said, you know, a few words you've changed. I've changed a lot of them so far, and there's probably going to be more, and I think I can do it with this headphone. Go on the waves. Let me flip these around. It's kind okay. of weird. Can you still hear me all right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, it's called No More. So, man down, won't you help him up? You're four able-bodied men, it wouldn't take too much. Man down, won't you give him a hand? See, with your knee on his neck, our friend, he just can't stand. We're living in a world of aggression No longer will we aid this oppression We're living in a world of aggression No longer will we aid this oppression No more, no more Some will claim they never meant to hurt her You stormed in, fired shots, now she's gone, that's called murder he ran for help, he shouldn't need to hide. Now his fate is the hate that you conjure deep inside. We are living in a world of aggression. No longer will we aid this oppression. We are living in a world of oppression. No longer will we aid this aggression. No Imagine, I found that as a performer, you have to engage your audience, right? So if you're going to make them think about hard stuff, you've got to put a solo section in here, you know, let the guitarist rip it up for a minute. Oh, no more. Rise up. Take your neighbor's hand. Only together can we ever make a stand. We're living in a world of aggression. No longer will we aid this oppression. Time to pave the path the proper direction. It's time for a change. It's time for a change. We're living in a world of aggression. No longer will we aid this oppression. Time to pave the path the proper direction. Time for a change, time for a change. It's time we change. So, wow. That's great. Uh, thank you so That's much. Great. By the way, I gotta say, I didn't say this before, but Tim, your song was super powerful and really touching. I just, you totally made me cry already this morning, and I haven't had coffee. Usually I only cry when I have coffee. <laughs> but these days I feel like, you know, Big full glass of water, and you still. Uh, yeah, Crying's yeah. good. Yeah. Crying, <laughs> crying and laughing at the same time is uh, yes, part of my, uh, my life's practice. Both of our songs of sounded like really old songs. You notice that, like, they yeah. both sound like they come from history, a time before our time. Um, you know, I mean, it's just a little bit of that compression on that piano. Just that really that 
that sound, it really, it sounded like a really, we were listening to a really old record in both cases. And a little like, honky-tonkish. Like, um, yeah, thanks for bringing us together and all of us, all you guys for hanging out with us today. And, um, you know, just, uh, yeah, thanks for, thanks for moving, um, moving the gigs forward, you know. You know, what's, what's powerful for, for me listening, and I, I would think other listeners too, is just, it, it's, it's so powerful to hear as two very gifted, you know, singer songwriters, how you're able to articulate so much of, you know, things that I've been feeling and able to do it in a way that, um, you know, connects us deeply with the, this, you know, movement that's been going on for a couple hundred years. Mm -hmm. and um, in kind of invites us from the isolation of like our homes and this distance, especially in Alaska, into a feeling of the movement, you know, through your work. So thanks, thanks to both of you, really. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that, um, that record I, I put out, by the way, is on Bandcamp for anybody listening and it will listen to this recording. Uh, you did ask me about it. And I, I gotta say, like, I feel like my attention span is a little you know, short and warped. And I, I maybe it's the attention deficit disorder or whatever you want to call it. The various initials that go with all our maladies here, OCD, ADD, DDDD, whatever. Like, <laughs> I feel like I really like after Ferguson happened, I remember thinking, oh, this is it. There's, we're we're going to have some change here, you know? And then you get reacquainted with that weird old white supremacist bizarro fantasy of the race war and the, that thing there's that story that keeps coming up in in america's history you know it's like it's it's part of it you know there's this weird fantasy that white supremacists have about this race war and there's the actual side of, uh, of uprising bob marley's album uprising stuff that i learned i had really i had amazing friends growing up they took me to see peter tosh when i was like 16. So it's like remarkable luck in my case in Akron, Ohio, that I was able to be inspired by the, and I, and I went to the Dominican Republic and my parents were like, kind of like hipster Catholics, you know? So I got this, this, I didn't realize that at the time, you know, it's just a pain in the ass. I didn't want to go to church and uh, I didn't realize they were really this kind of like interesting little revolutionaries on their own, you know, regarding love, marriage, and then helping out, people that were less fortunate. So putting this record out was just like, this is something I can do because I know in, in, in a day or two, like Ferguson like kind of evaporated. I for, I kind of forgot about it, you know, like I, I zapped back into like whatever, you know, uh, and that just happens, you know, and I'm afraid, and I think we all kind of are, that this too is like, there's just, the attention deficit, the attention span of us as a, as a as human beings, uh, as a nation or whatever, Alaska is always, it feels a little different to me, you know, you guys are all the original social distancers, really. I mean, if you think about it, um, I know there's plenty of jokes about that online, but I mean, it's like, this is something I can do that I will up until the election, which I think they're all connected. You know, that is the thing when you're, when you're on the left side, of the circle of, of, of political Tim, are you still on the circle? I thought you're so far. <laughs> well, I don't know. I feel like I, I like, I love to go into perceived enemy camps and sing to them. I love it. I think that the left and the right, they seem to meet at the bottom in this, like I have Kentucky friends that are like, 
people that are like re really into guns and really into smoking weed. And they're like these, this weird Alaska, this happens in Alaska too very much. It's like this, like, uh, I forget the political term for it. It's the Venn uh, diagram like, of- Yeah, uh, just like, you know, so it's like, <laughs> I, I tend to hang more on the left, but I'm not, in, I'm not into the dis, dismissing and, and abandoning people, you know? That's, that's my thing that I learned from my parents. And I mean, how are we gonna get any work done, you know? And if you look at all of my heroes and our heroes of uh, social change, they were very similar. You know, I'm sure that Martin Luther King had a few racist thoughts in his mind, you know, just like we all feel comfortable maybe in certain situations uh, that are more, I don't know, folks that look like us or something. But at the same time, uh, I'm not going to get angry at other uh, white people who are racist. I'm going to get sad by it. I'm going to try to recognize it in myself. Uh, this minute I start yelling at people and pointing fingers, it's the you spot it, you got it thing, man. You know, it's every time it's just like, you're this and you're that. And it's like, yeah, I was, you know, I, man, I took me some learning too. I had to learn, you know, yeah. and uh, I, I want to remain teachable. That's all. I, I agree with you, the pointing fingers thing, because this time around, and granted, you mentioned Ferguson and, you know, every every time and granted it's not like the gap between ferguson and now um you yeah, know no, it's just the lack of media coverage between ferguson and now mm -hmm. you know um on the subject and to me it's interesting because you know like i remember how deeply ferguson shook me i was living in philadelphia at the time on vocal rest and uh had you know friends who were musicians in in ferguson and um and growing up as a philadelphian you know we had a lot of black white you know, disparity, crazy race relations in Philadelphia. And um, as an Alaskan, like talking to Alaskan friends during Ferguson, people just didn't really seem to understand. And I was like, all right, because our race relations up here are, you know, primarily white and indigenous issues, you know, and um, which is, you know, again, another separate prong of just tragic mm -hmm. systemic injustice. And um, but but I think coming back to it, you know, it's like what I feel I agree with Tim that right now we're in such a powerful place of change and people have not let up. And I'm so thankful. And the biggest thing I want is for, you know, for every for every one of us, if we do one thing each day that like reminds us and reminds the world or that shares or that, you know, just puts the seed of change in the mind of somebody that doesn't think it's an issue or that, you know, might be on, you know, the 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 other side of the coin um I, i'd go as far as to say the wrong side of the coin <laughs> you know if we can plant a seed then that can you know slowly grow um i think there are going to be activists in all arenas of this you know this fight that are going to be doing different things there's going to be the more radical activists that are there to like straight up point fingers and argue and say it's time you know and then there are going to be activists that are able to you, interact with their community in a different way to plant seeds and work with change on like a longer spectrum versus those who were working on change in the middle spectrum and, and some really, you know, on the front lines. And, um, but it is interesting. I've had to check personally my anger about things because, you know, once you, if you get to the pointing finger place, like all of a sudden, if there was somebody who might've been in that middle ground, you've essentially like, you've just dried up the ground that you would have planted the seed in. Yeah. And so um, for me, I think, you know, it's so nice to talk about this stuff because I think all of us, um, have been feeling really sad and really angry. Like the other day, I, you know, 
had a gratitude check-in and I was like, what are my feelings? And then I looked at the list and the list was fear, anxiety, anger, and sadness. And I was like, oh boy. And I was like, okay, time to go stand in the sunshine and then be like, sunshine, there's one thing I'm thankful for. You know, uh, but it was like, I was so blinded by these emotions that I kind of lost sight of it. And so I think just, yeah, remembering that change happens on both the long and short form, but um, we are keeping the heat on and now it's just a matter of even, you know, when, when, you know, things, I hope they don't relent at all, but if they do just making sure that we just put that heat back on, just turn up the burner again, yeah. you know, we all have a role here, you know, Asia is, is running this gallery and providing this forum for us and others. And we, we all kind of have a role to do here. Some of us are, we all just have a little bit of a role, I think in, in it. So it's like, just find it and do what you can do. It's kind of like, with environmental stuff or voting, voter participation, it is all linked together, but you can't do everything. You can't recycle everything, but whatever, you know, if you're trying, if you're trying at all, and, and it's so great to, uh, to hear Kat saying, and, and um, yeah, no, no, uh, no worries about having to encourage the two of us to get to work on trying to, because uh, I think it brings us peace, right? It brings us a little peace of mind to work on our stuff. You know, that would be, having our freedom take away, taken away and not being able to create that, then I might be able to even comprehend true oppression even more. Um, I've been in third world countries and I've seen, I've talked to artists in Cuba who, you know, are afraid, that kind of fear, which is different than the fear, you know, that we, you know, have been so lucky. We, we do have fears enough, but you mentioned that whole gratitude thing. And I tell you, man, my daughter has a thing called rosebud thorn. You probably heard that expression before, but at the end of the night, you have to, what was your rose of the day, your thorn of the day, and then your bud for tomorrow. Like what's your rosebud and thorn? And it's just, I love it, man. And um, uh, it's just been a really powerful thing. I think when you stay in a little bit of like gratitude for what you have, life is the, the harder things you're able to kind of deal with the difficulties of humanity and uh, humans, I mean, who can explain the human beings and what they get up to? I mean, good God. <laughs> it's so great to talk um, with you two and to, to um, experience kind of like the really full gamut of emotions that you as like really courageous beings are willing to explore from despair and anger and, you know, joining in the demonstration in Nashville Tim, and then sitting down at night with your little girl and talking about her rose and her bud and her thorn. Yeah, I was disturbed I couldn't bring her to the demonstration. I wrote about that. I mean, I'm, I'm addicted to social media, man. I'm out there posting my thoughts a little too much, but whatever, I'm doing it. It's like a document. Like yesterday, I showed her Monty Python for the first time. And I was like, I want to document that because this is a big deal. You know, I remember when my, my dad and mom did that to me about the same age. Profound impact on my life, as it turns out using comedy and goofy irreverence to deal with fascism. It's like, holy shit, that's what those guys were doing. Didn't know that that was getting into my mind. I want to say that Kat and I are also super lucky and all creative types that not everybody can write down their thoughts about all the anger and emotion. They just bottle it up and it stays in there and it's just like, ah, I'm just angry. And the, you know, sickness and age, it takes you down, you know, you get ill, mentally ill and physically ill. 
And while we both dealt with all that stuff too, we, we are able to let un, uncourt the thing through creativity, through poetry, through writing, through just jamming, meditating through music, you know, that's like a major uh, release for the both of us and for almost anybody that, you know, people do it through exercise as well, or just journaling, like not everybody gets to, to do that. Some people just sit on it and sit in it and don't get to express themselves. And there in lies, I think, you know, if super angry people, like if people say that racism is learned, a learned thing from your parents or whatever, I mean, if you're able to journal about that at a young age, think about how different that would, maybe it would turn you if you were able to actually sit and, and express it and see what see how somebody felt about what you felt, you know? Yeah, I think, you know, the communication aspect of expressing feelings is, you know, again, it's, it creates a wider breadth of, of humanity in, with respect to your relationships. And so therefore you end up becoming, you know, if you're able to communicate your emotions articulately with patience and, and um, clarity, then you can, you know, generally like avoid conflicts that are miscommunication conflicts. So then you end up like being able to mm -hmm. interact with a broader sense of the world. And, you know, you start to break down those barriers and you start to really see that, you know, once we're communicating on a deeply, truly human level, like all of the barriers of, you know, everything else just sort of fade away. And we realize that we all share the same, same human emotions, you know, and really it's, it's like taking off the cover of the book. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I feel really thankful for that every day. And I'm so thankful for, you know, people like Asia who share these conversations and share your visual art with the world and your space as a community space. And, and for Tim, you know, the way that you articulate, I, I love your poetry, love your, love your songs. And, you know, I see so many other friends on this call too, Lucy, your engineering work, making sure that the message comes out loud and clear and articulate. Um, Emma Hill writing songs. It's, you know, to me, I've been thinking lately about how much communication, you know, really just drives that sense of, of um, change. And, you know, as, as I've been engaging with conversations on race, you know, locally mm -hmm. through, you know, the Alaska Black Caucus or um, Chamber of Commerce, or there's so much going on right now um, with, you know, Zoom webinars talking about race and just having discussions. And that's been really powerful to just, you know, that if we can sincerely communicate and clearly communicate, we can usually find the answers that we need without getting our hearts all bundled in the process. Mm, yeah. You do both remind us that it's a practice, right? And you um, are constantly sort of um, cultivating that through your writing and through the commitment to engage with an audience that you may or may not know. And that's a very interesting and kind of courageous spark that's essential to your craft, which might distinguish um, uh, workmanship from other forms, right? Because, um, you know, as a painter, I put something out there and it's a mute object. And so it's not confrontational or um, doesn't arouse, you know, a dialogue in the same way. So thank you so much, the two of you, especially for, you know, joining us this week, this week when we're just, um, you know, continuing to reel and process uh, the implications of this um, continued and yet growing movement uh, of social change and the really critical role 
that artists can play in changing people's minds and opening their hearts. I want to thank you for joining us today and all of those who listened in. It just really means a lot to have like the attention of Emma Hill and Matt Johnson, Rika, Petra. And I think that might be Matt Steffi, but I'm not sure who's on the phone. It's just a really um, powerful um, thing to um, gather and just make a space to hear and share. So I want to thank you all and remind you that we'll post this dialogue at banellarts.org. It'll be a part of our um, current podcast, Inspiration and Adaptation. Next year, we'll, next year, next week, we'll be talking with um, Nathan Schaefer and Melissa Shaganoff about um, Indigenous Futurism. Thank you so much. Thank you, Asia. Thanks, Kat. Thanks, everybody, Thank for hanging out. Appreciate yeah. it. Thank you so much, all of you. Really good discussion.